Welcome to Educated Messes, a podcast to help you sift through the bullshit around work, well-being, and relationships. We'll ask questions, seek answers, and share experiences to help you navigate the messier parts of life. Because trial and error is a lot easier when we do it for you. Hi, I'm Kelsey. I'm Kyla, and today we're talking about how trying to figure out what you want in life can feel really daunting and scary, and uh, explore some ways that you, we, might be able to start figuring that out. Because you know what? No time like the middle of a pandemic to figure out what you want to do with your life. Heck yeah. (laughs) Basically, WTF am I doing with my life 101. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, the kicker to this episode is I feel like there's no episode where we've known the answer less. No, absolutely (laughs) not. Like currently in the middle of an existential crisis. So this will be fun. I need to talk. (laughs) Hell yeah. Okay. So we're going to start off by just talking about what it means to feel passionate about something and how we start to figure out I don't know what our purpose is in life. Those types of big ass questions. So yeah, just simple stuff. Just, just casual chats. So passion, I think um, we hear a lot, but I found a definition of it that I liked a lot, which was passion is an emotion to be acted upon. Without action, passion yields no worthwhile results. Passion oh. is the fuel in the fire of action. When you have passion for something, you love it even when you hate it. Oh, my God. I'm inspired. (laughs) (laughs) It's fixed. I figured it out. Okay. Let's wrap this up. I think the reason why that stood out to me is because I like the part about even when you hate it, you still love it because I think that something that's fed to us for a long time is like, if you love what you do, you never work a day in your life. And I'm just like, you know what? I don't really think that's true, my friends. Um, I think that work is work and it always has trials and tribulations. And I think that even with passion, there are going to be times where it's a big bummer. That's just, there's, yeah, that's life. It'd be like that sometimes. <laughs> It'd be like that. So I think it can be kind of misleading to have this expectation that you'll one day find something and there will be no questions and no parts of it that like bum you out. I just don't think that's realistic. Yeah. So I like the idea that passion is about something that lights you up, but also realistically there are going to be parts of it that like you're like, oh, I don't want to do this, but you yeah. still do it because you're so fired up about it. Yeah, I think there's a difference and a pretty key difference between like passion and contentment and happiness. Um, Something that I have read a bit about. I'm sure there's a source somewhere in here Um, (laughs) about just how like all emotions are temporary and we think of sadness or anger as something that will definitely pass, but we don't really treat happiness in the same way. Um, Mm. I feel like a lot of people are kind of seeking this state of happiness that perseveres and I I don't think that's very realistic which is something I had to come to terms with um, yeah. myself but seeking contentment is it's much more realistic mm-hmm. and calm <laughs> and you know that's kind of what I I've had that um, mindset shift in the past couple of years I don't know if I've had that mindset shift yet 
know, it'll maybe it'll happen. I feel like when we were reflecting on 2019, I was like, I don't know if it was a good year. It's hard to think of like oh what makes a year good because I can tell you my 2019 was shit. <laughs> <laughs> but you know what I mean? It's like what maketh a year good when you count up all of the things? I like, mean, that's a hard I feel like again, it's like the average of how the year made you feel in my mind. Yeah, I think that's hard. I don't know. To me, it's maybe I just focus more on certain emotions, probably. Like it's a mm-hmm. lot easier to say I had a bad year and not think about all the good things that happened. Yeah. But I just know that a lot of it was really hard and and I felt bad. <laughs> that's that's what I'm basing it off of. <laughs> that feels fair. Yeah. Yeah, I just think it's tricky sometimes. Also, I think that people get turned off by contentment because it kind of sounds boring. <laughs> <laughs> I say people, I mean me. People. I am bored. <laughs> yeah, our brain kind of seeks out these dopamine hits mm-hmm. and that's often found in novelty. And we think that excitement is the same as happiness is the same as, I don't know, whatever we're seeking. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that if you really start to, to pay attention, and I'm not saying you, I'm saying just like... I mean, I think that I need this advice. <laughs> I'm kind of giving this advice to myself too. Like, it's a reminder that if you start paying attention to, say for for me, maybe it's like, oh, I, I love me a good snack like a good treat Mm -hmm. and to me it's like oh I'd be so happy if I ate this whatever thing that (laughs) if I paid attention I would realize that after I eat it I actually feel bad and all of the good feelings this is actually true this is true I listened to oh god I need to remember maybe it was some doctor was talking about how all of the like good brain shit it happens before we actually do the act. So after you eat the sugar, you don't actually get any benefit. It's just like how our brains were wired to seek out things that would make us live more. Hmm. And we haven't really advanced past that. So, oh, I don't know. I feel like I'm going on a bit of a tangent. But <laughs> <laughs> No, I wasn't even done, but I should be because like we just started. (laughs) Um, I'm not. I'm not sure how I'm gonna fact check your reference as some dog things that I things that I think about. These are just some of my thoughts I've been having. Um, cool, cool, cool. I mean, I just don't. (laughs) You stopped me. Speechless. <laughs> this is the first time in my life I haven't had a single word to say. So when we talk about passion, I think for me that feels like very deeply intertwined with purpose. And I think asking the question like, what is my purpose in life is like a bit, it's a bit much. Because <laughs> I think that I just don't know that it's necessary to try to pinpoint that to like a word. Um I think your purpose can be made up of a whole bunch of different things. And I think that passion and purpose are super intertwined because I always see that um, post about, I don't want to say it wrong, but Ikigai, which is like the, it's like a Japanese theory 
And it's essentially like these circles. And I'll obviously post a source to this. I picked the worst <laughs> thing to talk about. Okay. So, <laughs> but it's essentially these circles and it's like your primary element. So it's like what you love, what the world needs, what you can be paid for, and what you are good at. And it's like a hmm. bit, it's like a Venn diagram. Like they're all Venn diagramming each other, these circles. <laughs> And then it talks about (laughs) Venn diagramming. (laughs) Yes, it is. It's an action word. And essentially like in the middle of the Venn diagram would be like your icky guy. (laughs) Sure, I'm ruining the pronunciation. (laughs) And that is supposed to be like your passion mixed with your mission, mixed with your vocation, mixed with your profession. And so – if you are able to figure out what your icky guy is, apparently that can help you bring like fulfillment and happiness and also how make you live hell? longer. That sounds great, but how? <laughs> so go do it. <laughs> so if you can figure it out, you'll be really happy. So, so if you okay, could bye. Just, if you could just answer this question, then you're fine. No, I think it's about like making lists. Like what do you love out of yeah. all the things you love? What does the world need? What can you be paid for? What are you good at? And then like mixing it together in this beautiful diagram. Oh, I have a really hard time with the like, what does the world need that I – okay, maybe this is getting too <laughs> <laughs> I just – okay, I seriously though, I have been thinking about this stuff so much that it I have like – tangents ready for all of these points and I feel like you understand that like the world needs like beautiful things I yeah I I don't know Hmm. I think I struggle with it a lot because most of what I am passionate about and what I am good at is very it's creative Mm -hmm. um and design is how I've made a living from it but sometimes it's hard to think of like what's the impact I'm having on the world Mm -hmm. I don't know haven't figured that one out yet I'm sure someday like I think what I really want is to be able to help people in a way that's specific to what I'm good at and like like mentoring or something I don't know that sounds awesome thanks (laughs) also I think that that's another thing that I feel we can often put too much pressure on is when we think about okay, what can I what can I do for the world or what can I contribute to the world? For me, I feel like a really great reframe, reframing of that. I mean, if you want to do something for the world, all the power to you. But I think a way that I love to reframe it is like, what can I do for my community? And community can look different for different people. Like that can be your city that you live in. That can be a group that you're a part of. That can be like your family and friends. And I think making a contribution to them can also look like you just enriching their lives and uh, making their lives more enjoyable and better. And that is you being of service to the world. I think that it can feel really daunting sometimes when in reality, like you being a good friend and a designer and a podcaster and these things is like (laughs) you contributing to your community in a way that's beneficial. Yeah, that's a an interesting way to look at it that I definitely haven't and don't I don't know I think it's again with the whole like putting really high standards up for myself and ourselves. well and it's the feeling like I'm never doing enough thing it's all of it you know so I don't know that's something maybe I should think about more 
<laughs> add it to the list. <laughs> I just think, yeah, I think change can start in these like small gradual movements where it's like you enrich someone's life and make them more fulfilled and they do the same for someone else and they do the same for someone else. And I think by building strong communities, we like build a better world. And so I think it can feel really daunting to be like, what am I doing for the world? Like I have asked my that myself that question before and just been like, oh my God, I have no idea. <laughs> and I think like you doing something for your group or your your community or people in your community who need support, things like that. For me, I feel like is a really cool way of it has like a waterfall effect. Yeah, a waterfall effect. Like it there there's inertia behind it that it like keeps mm -hmm. going and going as those people then can better help their people and and so on and so forth. Yeah, that sounds nice. That's something that I want as well. Is that people who interact with me just feel better in some mm -hmm. way. That's a that's a good one. Yeah. Cool. I think the other thing we wanted to chat about was I feel like we – I don't know if this is like a British Columbia thing, but in our high school in grade 12, you have to make a map, <laughs> a my action plan or some shit. I don't know what oh it's for. But it essentially was like, hey, you're in grade 12 and you're already having a crisis about the rest of your life. And also, <laughs> could you map it out for us? And then we're going to grade you on it. Yeah, because decide exactly what you want to do right now. Um, and then we'll tell you if it's a good idea or not. <laughs> this seems low stress. Also, if you come up with a shitty idea, you might not graduate. <laughs> oh my god! So I weird. wonder what my map said. I have oh, no I idea. Really? I, I remember what mine. Do I? No, I actually don't. Mine was probably <laughs> just a picture of Elle Woods. <laughs> uh, so the reason why I bring that up is because I think it's really funny that we always ask kids and. I'm sorry if you're 17, just a kid to me. I was a kid then, I feel like. So I think constantly asking them, like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And like asking them to pinpoint it is just very bizarre. I'm not really sure I understand why we feel that that's so necessary. Yeah. I was just talking to my mom about this, and she was talking about how in the Mr. Rogers uh, movie with Tom Hanks, <laughs> she loved the part where – she said that like I'm I'm sure this is paraphrased like four times so sorry <laughs> if I do it a disservice but the whole concept of like instead of asking these young people like what do you want to be when you grow up and like who do you want to be when you grow up instead being like who are you right now like what's Aww. your like what are you about right now instead of like acting like you're not a human being until you have a Oof. job or something like I don't yeah. know what that's about that's it's so true. And I just think it's interesting like being – we we were asked to do that. And like I'm sorry if people are passionate about that. I think like I'm sure there's a good reason why we were asked to do it. I just think that it can feel really intense. And I think it's really, really difficult to try to pinpoint a life plan when you're 17. Yeah. And I think what it sort of makes you feel like is I have to choose – and then I have to stick to that. And if I if I don't stick to it, then I'm not following the plan. Oof, the plan, the illusion of control. Another yeah. thing I think about a lot. <laughs> yeah. So I think 
what's really important to me and what has been really hard for me to learn is that you're allowed to change your mind and Mm -hmm. you're allowed to change your mind a lot. And I feel like if you're not changing your mind, you're probably like not exposing yourself to enough new things because I just don't know that I believe that if you wanted to be something when you were 12 and you still want to be it, that you've like explored enough options. (laughs) Get (laughs) them. Sorry. Is that rude? No, I think that exposing yourself to different things is very important. I think it's something that makes you a Mm well-rounded human being. Um, So yeah, I I would agree that my (laughs) dreams when I was 12 are not what they are now for for good reason. (laughs) Yeah. I'm sure there are people out there that were like, I wanted to be a doctor as a kid and now I'm a doctor. And I'm like, hell yeah. But I wish that I just had that we don't need to worry about those people because they didn't have to struggle as much because they just knew what they wanted to do. <laughs> yeah, they're fine. Um, but yeah, I think about changing your mind. Kyla, you kind of had an experience recently, sort of recently, about yeah. changing your mind and sort of like what that looked like. So maybe you can touch on that. Yeah, I sure will. Thank you for that. Um, Yeah, so what I wanted to talk about a little bit was my career path up until basically the beginning of this year, which feels like no time at all because what is time in 2020? Um, But I went to business school because I just like – I wanted to do the opposite of what my family does, and they're all artists. So I was like, business school seems like the the apt choice. (laughs) And I just kind of was like, I was just plodding through life. Like, I don't know, I'll figure it out. I was like, I'll figure it out along the way somewhere. I know I kept being drawn to creative things, but nothing was really sparking my interest. Then the the most creative business thing seemed like marketing. So that's basically what I started doing. I was doing social media marketing and content and that for a really long time. And I was good at it, but it didn't really light my fire at all. And then I learned what my job is so recently that like the job that I currently have that is my dream job. I didn't even know what it was when I was in high school. I was like, yep, I'm going down this path. I think this is for me. I was like skilling up in it. And then I learned about a different path. And then I decided I'm going to take that path now. Granted, it's it wasn't an easy switch. Like it took a lot of effort and learning and, and moving towards that goal. But man, I am just so glad that I did it because you can change your mind and then listening to that realization and going for it, I think is such a big part of life because we're all just doing the best we can with the information that we have at any given moment. And if you get new information, then change your mind. Like it makes so much sense. It's healthy. It's the right thing to do. Yeah. That was my example. Yeah. I think that um, Shania Twain made it really clear when she told us (laughs) that it's our prerogative to change our mind. And it freaking is. Hell yeah. And I think that that's something I really struggled with is like I kind of thought you had to decide something and then if you were working towards it and then you changed your mind, it was like, oh, you just wasted all this time. Yeah, and it's that's like, some sunk cost theory, which yeah. is something I learned in business school. <laughs> so there we go. Worth, worth the education. <laughs> yeah, I just think – That is such a bad way of looking at it because then if you just keep going down that path, the costs keep getting greater and greater. 
a fallacy. Yeah. So <laughs> I think another thing I love is oh, maybe I've already said this, but I'm going to say it again, is I love the quote, fail fast and fail often. Oh, we did have that one in episode one. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. We got it this time though. Yeah. I have it locked in. (laughs) I think that that's kind of on the same wavelength of like, just try shit and like do things and figure out what you like and what you don't like. And slowly but surely you'll start to figure out like, more and more what excites you, what bores you, what all of that. We're big advocates of trial and error here. I feel that it's sort of the most important way to start to find the path. Yeah, absolutely. Figure out what you don't like and that steers you closer to what you do like. 100%. I have a note on that later, but I think the thing that bums me out the most is seeing people who have like incredible potential and like great ideas and are super cool and they just don't go for things I'm like I just want and I've I've been in the position where I'm sure people felt that way about me when I was in banking and they were just like what are you doing and you get so you get your feet stuck in the mud is that a saying (laughs) yeah okay and then you're just like you don't you don't want to go because you're already like dug in and all these things. And it's just like, oh my God, you just need someone to be like, you're done here. This is not your thing. Yeah. Yeah. And realizing those things quicker is so key. Um, (laughs) I also think the reason why changing your mind is so important is because what you want and what inspires you and what drives you is always evolving. Like we're dynamic humans living in a very big world and our environments and circumstances are changing. Oh my God, are they ever. (laughs) And our desires and dreams are bound to as well. And I just think if 2020 has taught the collective anything, (laughs) it's that you can't really plan for things. Oh my God. You just never know. You're you never not know. in control. That really, that really threw me for a loop because control and certainty are such a big part of what I seek. So I've had to, yeah, do some searching internally. Yeah. And I think like if certainty and control are the most important to you, then this was a huge reality check. And I'm saying this to me too, because control is like my favorite thing. And it's such a reality check because it's like you think you can make these calculated decisions in your life and they'll lead you down a path and it's like you're wrong. <laughs> you're wrong. <laughs> That's not yeah. how life works. Yeah. No. The the moment I realized or learned that the literal only thing in your control are your actions, it I think was a big a big moment for me because I stopped focusing so much on the things I couldn't control and started only focusing on what I can and could control and it's just like what are you gonna do about it that's life is just gonna do things and it's gonna go what are you gonna do about it and then that's that's the whole thing that's life (laughs) (laughs) I figured it out (laughs) there's your answer um I think that going after what you want is probably the hardest step because I think Figuring it out and like having an inkling what it is are like steps that feel at least to me a little more achievable and then actually trying to make it actionable I feel is very, very hard. And for me, for an experience that I had with this would be I have touched on this a little bit 
sorry if everyone's bored of me talking about banking, but (laughs) essentially I grew up in a house where my mom is a banker and my brother went into banking when he graduated and even before graduation. And all throughout university in my summers, I'd work at the bank because I had an in, if we will. will. (laughs) Um, And so it's a great job. It was freaking like pretty chill. It's not actually that chill. It's kind of stressful compared to most jobs, I'd say. You're like just carrying around a hundred grand in a bag, so it's not like great. It's not but, chill at all. <laughs> um, but certain experiences, I feel like, was pretty chill, and it was good, like a good quality job. I felt lucky to be there. People do it for their whole lives, and like it's a it's a great industry. I don't know what to say. I feel like I'm trying to be very yeah. diplomatic right now. No, but it's like, stable, and yeah. sometimes that's that's the goal. Yes. And people get into it for a lot of different reasons. My mom mm-hmm. would say that she is in it for people, not for banking. So okay. there's lots of, lots to it, you know. But for me as like a teller, it's just like you're just like counting money and stuff. I just, <laughs> I'm not even that. People always were like, oh, I didn't know you were good at math. I was like, <laughs> is that a computer? So thank One, you. Two, and three. also, <laughs> yeah, I didn't count dimes, but thank you for coming. Um <laughs> Yeah. So I worked there for a long time. And then when I graduated university, when I was in university, I thought that I would take some courses and take my LSAT. And I thought I wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> and, <laughs> was. Yep. and then I went into banking just as something that seems like a good path. I was already in it and started working at in a bank in Vancouver. And then things started to kind of like unfold in front of me. Like I had a lot of big life changes that happened. I like went through a breakup and I was sort of just like I had had this plan my whole life. Like you and when you're in high school, you always know what's coming next year because you're yeah. in high school. And then when I was ending high school, I always knew I was going to go to McGill. I like had, had known yeah. that for a long time. And so there was not a lot of like choice in the matter. And then when it was done and it was now it was just like all I had was choices I couldn't decide I had no idea what to do and so I talked to my mom about it a lot because I was not happy at all and so didn't even know where to start with what I wanted to do I had no ideas even and I was really worried to start something And it not be the right thing, which I now realize is like very misguided. But at the time, it felt like I want I want to find the job, which like I was fresh out of university, like (laughs) I wasn't going to find the job. I was just going to find a job. And I just think that I got really hung up on that. And so a couple of things that my mom sort of enrolled me in to try to help me out were Mm -hmm. I started going to see a life coach, which is interesting if people are intrigued by that process. It's definitely helpful to have someone keep you accountable to figuring out like what your values are and what's important to you. And we would work through exercises and for sure it's not for everyone, but I recommend it if you are in a position like this where you're kind of like just lost. Yeah. And we will work through exercises like if you had a billboard and you could put anything on the billboard and everyone in the world would see it, what would the billboard say? 
Oh my god. And it's really hard. But you would start to like break it down into different pieces and like try and figure out like what's your message? Like what do you want to tell the world? And I think what that does is it starts to chip away at like what's important to you? What do you think is the most important thing? All of that. And it starts to get more and more distilled. And so I found that to be a really helpful tool to like get my mind churning on what I loved, what I didn't love, all of that. Hmm. And then the other thing I did (laughs) was a Berkman assessment, which we know by this point that I love a personality test. (laughs) And so a Berkman assessment, if you haven't heard of it, it's like a really famous um, method or approach. And it's been around for a long time. And it's used by like a ton of the Fortune 500 companies and by like the military and stuff. It's like very widely used. And it's essentially like an online personality assessment. And you work with a like coach and they send you the assessment and you take it. And it's like so many questions, like 200 or something questions. And it's repetitive sort of like it's multiple choice. And then you kind of feel like you've already answered that question, but they've like reframed it. <laughs> and you're like slowly getting closer and closer to figuring out your brain, I guess. And then what you do is you meet with someone, the person. <laughs> Doing a terrible. So Berkman so is not going to sponsor us. <laughs> and then you meet with the person and they bring you your results. And it's very career oriented. It's like it's so that you can figure out what your sort of job should be. Okay. And it essentially groups you into these different scales of like your interests. So like your interests – and your behaviors, and then your like needs or expectations, and then your stress behaviors. And I'll put up a resource for this because it's kind of hard to explain. But it essentially has a whole bunch of occupations, like literal occupations, like journalist, uh, social worker, whatever it is, like hundreds of them. And it starts to group those into like 20 or so sections. And then it ranks you from one to the bottom on like oh what's God. most applicable to what's least. And I kid you not, I take this assessment. I'm like sitting down with this person. I'm in banking and I'm (laughs) studying to take my LSAT to be a lawyer. And out of the like 25 or whatever things, my bottom two are numerical and law. (laughs) And I'm just like, you're kidding me. (laughs) I wanted to like, I was like meeting this person at a Starbucks and I was just like (laughs) enraged by it. And it was just so, it was laughable. I was just like, this is such a slap in the face. Like, (laughs) it's essentially just, I couldn't even like dive into it in the beginning because I was just like, I saw that and I'm like, this is trash. (laughs) (laughs) I'm screwed. It literally was telling me that what I am doing and what I'm seeking to do are both really stupid. I shouldn't do them because they don't align with my personality at all. (laughs) And I think the reason why I tell that story is because it was such a unique wake-up call where I was like, obviously, that's true. (laughs) Now, I look back and I go, duh, of course, those aren't your things. I don't like following rules. Not a very good good lawyer. And I don't like banking. (laughs) The most absurd thing to be surprised by. And yet, there I was, my dreams dashed that weren't actually my dreams. What were your top ones? I was just thinking about this today about how I want to revisit it. 
And I was looking for it in my email actually to see if I could find it, but I have like a binder of it. And so I don't want to misspeak because I actually like want to know what it is. So on a future episode, I'll find it when I'm back in Vancouver and we'll we'll see oh, what they are. I'm so curious. Okay. Oh, cool. That's a I wanna um, do that now. I know it's pretty um it's pretty cool. I wanna I need that though, but like in my life. Yeah, like in general. Outside of career. Cause I feel like I've kind of got the career thing. It kind of does. It talked about other things too. It talked about like, I remember meeting with this person. This also just shows at this point, I clearly didn't have a big handle on who I was as a person because (laughs) she said she starts to like make statements or the, your coach does. And then usually you'd be like, yes, I agree. Or like, I don't agree. Right. And they were like, you tend to have more friends, like groups of friends, as opposed to like a small close-knit group of friends. And I was so offended by it because I thought that meant that I had like a bunch of shitty friends and like (laughs) didn't have best friends. And I remember being like, what the hell? I have like really close And now I'm just like, you're so weird. You do. This is you. Stop being. But it's just funny. Like, I just wasn't ready to hear those things. And so it took me a long time to actually hear it and action it. And listen. It's not like I took this test and got those results and then quit my job. <laughs> I, wish, <laughs> I wish that was how this story went. <laughs> but I think it was really interesting because this was sort of my path to like finding alignment. And I really found out what it feels like to live not in alignment. And for me, that felt like going into an office every day where I sat there and I did a job and I dreamt about learning about things that weren't this. And (laughs) it was the first time where I've really struggled. I, I don't mean for that to sound like annoying, but I like really struggled to get good at it, even at like a base level. Like I just couldn't get it. And it was because I just didn't care. Like I couldn't engage with it. And it was just because it wasn't interesting to me. I wasn't excited about it. I wasn't going to read about it. Like on my evenings, like my brother's in banking and he's like obsessed with the stock market and all these things. And I'm like, I couldn't care less. I like don't. And so then it just made me bad at my job because I I just wasn't engaged. Mm -hmm. And it was such an example of like, you can't, I, okay, this is an opinion, not a statement, but (laughs) I don't think that you can be successful at things that you're not passionate about. And I think when you're passionate about things, success just like come with it because it's energy. And I think what you have energy for and what you put energy into just grows and grows because it like, it's just so, it's like a catalyst. And so you feel energy towards it. People recognize that. They see you. You evolve faster. You grow faster. You get better at things. I just think if you don't have that for something, it's just going to always feel like you're like pushing up against something. Yeah. It's such an effort to try and force yourself to do things that you're not excited about. I, I totally relate to everything you were just saying. I, at the last job that I was in and there's a lot of things wrong with that place but they straight up told me I didn't have a good work ethic and I oh my god I I not even to like that shit (laughs) I know and I'm like I I'm like one of the hardest working people that I know which is like not something that I even want to be proud of anymore like I I think it's unhealthy at a certain point but 
they told me I didn't have a good work ethic. And I was like, um, it's because I hate it here. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, it it's wild how when I switched and left that situation into a job that I am excited about and I love to learn about and and because of that I get better and it's easier and I enjoy it more and it's like yeah I don't know it seems so obvious in hindsight mm-hmm. and of course hindsight is 2020 but just absolutely like you don't have to white knuckle your way through life mm-hmm. <laughs> but there's probably an easier way and I I know that talking about like passion and purpose and stuff is a very privileged thing to talk about as well because I know a lot of people just work is survival and that that is it and we are very lucky to be able to have this type of conversation Mm -hmm. but yeah I think that if something is feeling really hard maybe take a step back and just ask yourself why like Mm -hmm. do you hate it (laughs) is there something you could change about it that would make you like it more yeah I, I don't think life is supposed to be that effortful. Yeah. I also think what's interesting is like that doesn't mean it won't be hard as in like hard work. Like I think a great example for me with this was I wanted to work at Tight Club so goddamn bad. I just (laughs) – I went to Tight Club, which if you don't know what it is, it's a fitness studio in Vancouver and it's where I've worked for a couple years now. And I started going there just as a participant and I – just was in love. And I just was like, I want to be as much a part of this as I can possibly be because I know mm-hmm. this place is good for me. So much so that even when I switched careers and had a new job, I got a part-time job at Tight Club cleaning <laughs> and, <laughs> and checking people in, just, which wasn't at all anything that I was doing with my other career. But it was just because it was like, I just need to get my foot in the door to be a part of this because I just want to be close to these people Mm -hmm. because I know that it's going to help me figure it out. I could just like feel it. And it was really hard. Like I was working doubles, two doubles a week, every week. And I was probably pretty grumpy in those times (laughs) because sleep was not happening much. And I was just working really long days and I have never once regretted it. I was not complaining about it because I was just grateful and I knew that it was the path that was like taking me there even though it wasn't like the place I was gonna Mm -hmm. end up and having been involved with them now for so long it taught me so much and I met so many people and all these things and so I just think I I remember feeling that I want a job and I want it to be like fancy and this and that and that will make me happy. And then to have this experience where it was like good, solid work and it was just so exciting for me to be a part of it that it it just didn't matter what the actual job was. That's so true. I think that is kind of an important thing to call out as well is that at the beginning and I don't know how you felt about banking at the beginning, but at the beginning of all of the decisions that I've had to pivot away from because I was no longer happy with them, at the beginning of them, I was really excited. And I think that's because I tend to chase what feels good to Mm -hmm. me. And at the start of every single one, like I can think of at the beginning of doing social media marketing for a restaurant um, and I was doing their photography and uh, working remotely. And I was so excited about it. I was like, this is amazing. This is what I want to do. Mm-hmm. And then at a certain point, it, it stops working and that's okay. And and just pay attention and, and try and look for 
what works now. Mm -hmm. I think what's interesting about that is I remember interviewing for jobs at the bank and I felt like a liar because (laughs) they would ask me questions about my passion and I I was lying. (laughs) I was I felt like a liar because I was lying. Because you were lying. (laughs) And I remember interviewing for my job at Sage, which I can still remember the interview. And I remember just thinking to myself, and like, I don't know if this sounds weird, but I remember just being like, if these people don't hire me, that will be so bizarre because I can't imagine someone coming into this interview more excited than I am. Like, if they can't sense the level of stoke that I'm entering the meeting with, then I, like... I'll just be lost because I was so I've never been more ready and thrilled to be being questioned. Like I was just so happy to be there. I remember that too. You were excited and I was excited for you. I literally sat at a desk in a branch in at the bank just opening up Sage Careers page. Just open, reload. No, I'm out. I gotta go. The first time I applied for a Sage job was a year before I got a job there. I was just, I would just apply for things I wasn't even nearly qualified for because I was like, at a certain point, they're like, who is this girl? (laughs) She needs to chill. I was hoping that like different departments might not know this. (laughs) It is what it is. It's so funny. I think what really felt cool to me was. And what I was so excited about, about changing companies and careers was being surrounded by like-minded people. And mm-hmm. like I just met people through working at Sage that are like my best friends. And it's because we share common interests and we <laughs> – what a concept. <laughs> and we – that was so unique to me because I'd never had that before. And what an experience to go to work and chat with people who you'd hang out with on the weekend. I like, I just hadn't had that before. I know that sounds kind of weird, but it made me feel so lit up to just be around people who cared about like wellness and these, like the Enneagram is a huge part of Sage culture that I was so excited Mm -hmm. about. And I just think it was really cool to get to be around people like that because at a time where I was really kind of feeling wiggly about what <laughs> what life was all about, it was so reaffirming to be like, oh, you were all excited about this too. And it just felt, oh, you don't need to struggle so hard against something. There are places where you can belong a little bit better and it feels more easy. Yeah, it goes back to that that feeling of, I don't know if we've talked about this in an episode or just in life, but the feeling of tension and all the suffering that comes when you feel one way and you're trying to force yourself to feel a different way. Like, I don't know if anyone will ever find success with that. So if you're feeling some type of way, maybe just ask yourself why and what you can do about it that's in your control right now. And usually you can start shaping your way towards a life that you'd, I don't even want to say be happier with, but that you'd be content with and proud of and can stand behind. And, you know, I I don't know. I just, 
I, I'm talking to my past self as well mm-hmm. because it took me so long to realize when I was just in like such a bad place that like, oh, okay, something needs to change. And then if you change that thing, you'll probably feel better. Mm-hmm. I, I don't know why it's – are we taught that you're just supposed to suffer through – I think that is what we're taught. I think that – well, that's I think that's what was modeled to me. Mm-hmm. a bit just just working hard that's yeah. it I mean we do glorify the grind a lot and I Ugh. think that it's just when you work hard at something that you love I think it just feels different yeah, yeah I also I think I've already talked about how much I love community but I think for me, a huge part in finding alignment in my life was also about finding community. And that's what Tight Club brought me was I got to meet all these people who had interesting paths that were unique to me because they were outside of like your typical, I don't know, professional jobs. Not to say that none of them do those things, but it just felt like there was more variety And it was so cool to me to hear about all of these paths. And there was this like lack of elitism. Like I think we think that you need to have a fancy job to be, I don't know, a fancy person or some shit. (laughs) I just want to be a fancy person. (laughs) I was just reading that um, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez was posting this thing on Instagram and she does like ask me anything. And someone asked her something and was like, are you excited to go back and bartend again when you lose your seat on November 3rd? And she replied being like, I'm ready to bartend any day of the week because I'm not a classist who believes that a person's job is reflective of their human worth. And I was like, oh. Get them. Oh my God. Shut it down, AOC. And I just thought like that's sort of what Tight Club helped me understand is that it's more important to do the thing that makes you unique and cool and like that you're good at and all of these like preconceived notions of what we think are important are often like very very societally pushed on us and Mm -hmm. this desire to have money and what we think success is I think is sometimes not really attached to our personal values it's sort of something we're taught yeah and It was so cool to me to start to distill it into like, and we've talked about this on the last episode too, around like what does success mean to you? And getting clear on that is really hard and I think really important because it looks different for everyone and chasing someone else's version of it is just like, it's garbage. It's not going to be good (laughs) for, I was doing it for the past 20 years three years of my life up until a point where I was like, I actually think that success for me looks different than I thought it did when I was 20 or 18. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I wish someone had told young me that you can have a a career in a creative field and not be like a starving artist. I think that really deterred me from considering creativity as a career path. Mm -hmm. And it's just like, so obvious <laughs> that that's what I should be doing mm-hmm. and it wasn't obvious to me for a really long time so yeah letting that piece of myself I guess like unleashing it and, and stopping trying to push it down and be like no 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 like 
banking or, you know, whatever my version (laughs) of that was. Marketing was my version of that. It just, I feel so much closer to who I think I am, which I'm sure will change. But right now it's feeling more aligned, I would say. Also, I just think the people that you surround yourself with are how you figure that out too. Because when you're around people who accept what's weird and fun and different about you, it helps you figure out who you are and what's important to you. And when you can accept that bravely in front of people because they have your back, I think that's how you start to get there. Because that's so true. I just think like being around people who might like mock or belittle what you think you can do is so toxic because you have co-star today told me I'm my own biggest (laughs) critic. And I'm like, aren't we all? We don't need someone to be like, actually, I think you need to be realistic about this. I'm like, yo, we're good. I actually need someone who's like, that sounds like a bomb idea. You're a badass. You can do this. Because I've already thought through all one million things that could (laughs) go wrong. And if I'm at the point where I'm expressing to you my dream, just be on board. I don't really need you to give me an analysis of it. It's not necessary. (laughs) Absolutely. And if I fail, I'll do it quickly and we'll keep going. And I just think, I can be that too to people is like I can be a little too cautious. Mm. And I think as I get more clear on what I want, it gets easier for me to recognize that we spend so much time thinking we can't do things. And I just think it's so – it's such a bummer because there's all these people out there that have so many gifts that they like want to give to the world. And the only thing standing in their way is like fear of messing it up or not getting it right or it not being the thing. That's so true. I think kind of what's coming up for me as we talk about this is just realizing when we reconnected. Okay. I don't know if anyone really knows how Kelsey and I know each other. I That's don't think we're the friendship story. <laughs> you tell it from your perspective and then I'll tell it from mine. So Kyle bullied me in high school. <laughs> hey you bullied me too bitch (laughs) anyways we were in the same high school we were in the same friend group and we were friends but I wouldn't say we were like I don't know it was a different friendship like it was a not the same friendship as we have now we're 14 Kyla it was different we were we were trying our best but then we kind of went off to university and weren't super close (laughs) never spoke (laughs) and then I think we kind of reconverged at our like crisis points (laughs) we went to the wallflower yeah, we like had a beer together after not seeing each other for years. <laughs> we were not in a good way, either of us. No. <laughs> and I think we really like connected <laughs> on being losers. <laughs> I think there's something about me felt I was like, oh, like that felt that conversation felt like something I needed. <laughs> and I don't know. I just feel like it's been fun to watch you go through all of these transformations because this was right around the time when you were reconsidering banking and switching mm-hmm. to tight club and sage. And it's been so interesting to see you like become yourself. I don't know. I just, <laughs> it's been really cool to watch. I feel the same way about you. And I also oh think God. that 
it absolutely was that it was like we would like meet up for a coffee and it would be super casual and then we would end up talking about like the darkest (laughs) this this kind of stuff yeah (laughs) and then we would leave and we like both had a crush on each other but like didn't want to tell each other like (laughs) I I think I I think I like you a lot and maybe we spend more time together um (laughs) but I totally agree it was definitely like we went down different paths and sort of like found each other again at a time where I think we're both really lost not to say that we're not now but (laughs) different brand of lost now yeah and I just think it's really cool I've watched so many friends explore different paths and like think they want to do one thing and then it it alters over time and it's so cool to watch people sort of evolve and figure it out and I'm just in constant admiration of people who think about that stuff and and challenge themselves and again of course it's absolutely a privilege but it it is so cool to watch people you love start to figure out like what their purpose is and and see them doing it like our friend Danica is such a good example of that where she tried a whole bunch of different things right off the bat out of high school and wasn't afraid of it in a way where like I was too afraid at the time and she would just like try something. Nope, that's not it. Try something else. And was just genuinely, I like the word is brave, like just wanted to figure it out and was just going headfirst at finding it. And then happened upon hairstyling and and went to school for it and is now so successful. And if you had asked her when she was 17, like if that was the thing, I don't even think it was on her radar at all. Isn't that funny to look back and like in hindsight, of course, she yeah, would be amazing duh. at that. She's an artist. Just yeah, I know. <laughs> Why didn't we mention that? I know. I know. It's so cool to look back and now you literally do. You just go like, we never thought of that. Like it's kind of <laughs> sitting right in front of you. And just like the level of talent she has is so next level. But I just think it was so cool to see someone just sort of like try and discover and then start walking on a path that was like, oh, this is your thing. Like you're so good at this. And then it's continued to um, evolve from there as well. And she's painting more and all of these things. But I just think it's it's a real treat of like being in your early 20s is while it (laughs) is such like a cluster can't say that. (laughs) It's such like a shit show. I think that watching people get more clear on it is is really, really fascinating because it's so exciting to see people lit up about what they love. Yeah. Why do you think it's so hard to figure out what we want in life? Honestly, I think it's because we're not paying attention. We're not meditating enough. I think it's because I think if you pay attention, your body is probably sending you some messages. And if you're feeling bad, there's probably a reason for it. Yeah, fair. That's my two cents. I also think you kind of touched on this earlier and I said I wanted to come back to it, but I think choices can often overwhelm us. I know I'm yeah. <laughs> big <laughs> a victim of the choices, the too many choices. Um, and I think that many of us do have a pretty good idea of what we don't want in life. And we can even figure that out by like looking at the world around us and recognizing what scares us or like what upsets us. That's even just like on a broad sense. And then also starting to get more clear on in our lives, 
what bums us out? Is it like a relationship that isn't healthy or a friendship that is draining or a job that is boring or something that feels like taxing and draining? And I think that this is really helpful because to perceive anything, we need contrast. And so to know something is unwanted is a way to start realizing what is wanted. And I think that for myself and a lot of people that went into like shelter in place or isolation or whatever, you start to recognize things that bum you out in that situation too. Like I recognize being alone, not for me. Lacking (laughs) an interaction, so rough. Being indoors, not my favorite. Being away from my family, not good. And so then like the opposites of those things are easy to decipher. Like I love and crave human interaction. I'm an extrovert through and through. I love nature and being outside. I love my family and friends as they energize me and they inspire me. And then it starts to be like, okay, and then what does that mean? Like, okay, my favorite things to do are then to spend time with the people I love. Like it just sort of snowballs for me, but Mm -hmm. I don't know that it's ever been so distilled for me as it was when we went into shelter in place. And it was just like, I am 100% someone who gets my energy from other people. And so Mm -hmm. not having access to that, I was just like, I feel really low. (laughs) Feels bad. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's a really good point. I feel like I want to noodle on that as well. Did you I notice think I, any things when you went yeah, into that? Even just as you're saying that, I think, yeah, I've done a lot of thinking on this, but maybe need to do it in a more structured way. But I actually have realized how much of an introvert I am, which is something that I think I have had an idea about, but never really accepted for a long time. Like, I would say I'm an, this is so stupid. I I don't know how much I really even subscribe to these categories, but like an (laughs) extroverted introvert where I really enjoy people, but I, it tires me out after a while and I'm really good at being at home. And I also love nature a lot. It makes me feel really, really good. And yeah, I, I think there are a lot of things that have become quite clear since I guess you just strip away a lot of different variables when you can't leave your house. Um, And yeah, I think you're forced to sit with yourself and take a look in the mirror. And if, if you feel bad, maybe, maybe you want to do something about it. I don't know. Maybe not, which is valid as well. It's really, it's a lot of fucking work to (laughs) reflect this much. Oh my God. Sometimes I just want to like stop. (laughs) Yeah. I also think like it's a very trying time right now. And so I think if you don't love your job right now, you're probably not alone. I don't know that like anyone's job is going awesome right now. I think companies are really struggling and companies are shutting down and all these things. People are being laid off in like mass amounts. Mm -hmm. And so I totally understand that like career growth is it's not even something that I see (laughs) happening or anyone right now really and so maybe there are some exceptions to that I just in my circle it seems to be everyone's kind of at a standstill and so I also think that that's sort of leads to okay what what in your life can you lean on that is good that can help you figure it out and help you feel good and I think that your job shouldn't be your whole life. And I'm the type of person who I need to remind myself of that all the time, like when to turn it off. 
And so finding things that light me up that have nothing to do with work has been something that's been helping me get through some of the days that feel just like really draining. Because for me, mm-hmm. like I was just saying, I love being with people. And I that's what I loved about my job and being at home. I see people on Zoom and it's just not the same. And I just think it's really tough and like doesn't feel the same. And so I definitely am not trying to like glorify. I haven't found the dream or anything currently. It's it's tough. Oh my God, I'm not even close. Yeah. And so I just think it's it's all about perspective and like I think right now it's tricky and also it's kind of a, a time where reflection feels really top of mind just because we sort of you're right like we stripped away all of the exciting pieces kind of (laughs) and so if the rest doesn't kind of feel good then it's definitely something people are probably thinking about a lot because I know I know our group and and people we know have been Yep. Yeah, then that's why we started this podcast because we got a lot of thoughts. <laughs> we got a lot of feelings. We're always in crisis mode. <laughs> yeah, completely. Okay, I think we should wrap it up. Uh, any final thoughts? No, I feel more confused now. Yeah, me too. <laughs> okay, bye. <laughs> bye. Okay, fact check time. Let's go. Okay. Check me. <laughs> Get ready. I'm ready. Alrighty, this one's pretty uh, psychology heavy, so I hope, hope everyone's into that. Okay. Um, it's because Kyla always brings up these like scientific facts in the <laughs> episode, which honestly, you're almost always correct, but oh my God. you just love to, you know, get get geeky with it. So you say something about dopamine coming from novelty and about how if we paid attention to small things that we would experience that dopamine okay and so what we're talking about is like a dopamine release when you experience or see something novel so apparently there's actually like a trait you can have called novelty seeking which like is a Mm. psychological I want to say condition is it can it yeah like a trait it can be it can lead to some tough stuff but what we're talking about more is like that in the moment like you seek out novelty and your brain appreciates it which is definitely something it's hardwired to do and so that's absolutely true that we do experience like a dopamine release when we see something novel And the cool thing about it is that um, novelty is associated with learning, obviously, because like when you learn something new, you're experiencing that. And so you can actually like use it to your advantage when you're learning new things. Um, I think I get that. I think I have like a a learning dopamine thing because I just – it sounds so stupid, but I just goddamn love learning. <laughs> <laughs> no, it is true. And so we have like a novelty center in our brain, which responds to novel stimuli. And so your hippocampus like is comparing stimuli against existing memories. And then your amygdala is what responds to it. So I guess mm-hmm. if it like can't find similar existing memories, it like recognizes it as novel. Huh. And then the amygdala responds emotionally. And so they did this test where they were showing people images and they'd show them like similar images, similar images. And then they'd show them something like completely novel. 
and they were had their brains all hooked up and they noticed that they were activated by novel images and they even tried showing them like tragic images like of a car accident and stuff and that didn't light up their brains as much as just like a brand new image and so hmm. when things grow more familiar your reactions decrease and decrease and so your brain by releasing dopamine to that to those novel things it actually makes you want to like go explore and and you're in search of those types of things interesting so if you're studying and you want to like kind of hack this a good tip is to add in new things as you go so like study 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 and then like add in a couple new facts because it helps to uh, like trigger that also apparently changing your environment so like sitting in a different room changing the temperature the lighting in the room you're in or going and doing something new like going to a new place and then setting aside time to like learn or study afterwards can help because you've already triggered it and then it's active and then you learn and it like signals your memory better interesting little brain hack there you go did i talk about in this episode um dopamine detoxes at all no i don't think so i don't think so okay maybe that's something we can talk about in another episode but how you're saying that it sounds like your brain kind of gets um like less sensitive to dopamine yeah something i was reading up on a little bit I kind of have some facts about that a little bit but you were kind of talking about how you actually feel all the good things before you eat the snack than when or after you eat the snack (laughs) yeah and so what I found on that is that dopamine is actually more tied to motivation than rewards so everyone always talks about dopamine as the reward center but it's actually more tied to your motivation to seek rewards than to rewards Mm -hmm. themselves so That's kind of when people talk about the dopamine seeking reward loop, which is like dopamine isn't what makes you feel enjoyment or pleasure. It's actually what causes that seeking behavior. It makes you want, desire, all that. And so it like increases goal-directed behavior. So it makes you super curious, all of that. Yeah. Things that would help you survive, I think, was Mm -hmm. the purpose, like looking for food and shit. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) that's how I'd put it Um, and apparently the two systems so like the wanting system and then the liking system are complementary and dopamine is part of the wanting system that propels you to take action Hmm. and the liking system is more the part where you feel satisfied and that actually pauses your seeking however the dopamine system which is the wanting system is stronger than the liking system so that's why you like seek out more than you're satisfied with and that's what creates the loop huh and that's why a huge issue is like the scrolling dopamine loop which is what we experience on social media because you don't get satiated so it's built to keep you feeding into the loop constantly wanting more yeah well yeah social media oh my god don't even get me started on like the dark patterns of ui that basically it's it's made to hack those parts of your brain and like get you addicted like they know what they're doing wild i know And so it's not the reward that keeps the dopamine loop going. It's the anticipation of the reward, which is like sort of like the Pavlovian idea of like when they ring a bell, you get a treat type thing. It's like the cues are actually what stimulates dopamine. So presumably like the cue to your snack, maybe it's like seeing it or smelling it or like hearing the oven ding or whatever it is, is actually what's releasing your dopamine, not the eating of the snack. 
So weird. So how do we get, I don't know if you looked into this, maybe we'll <laughs> do this in a different episode too, but how do you get the liking system or loop or whatever to be stronger? I don't know. We're going to have to dive into that. <laughs> How to how to hack it. <laughs> okay, next time. I use Venn diagramming as a verb, and I'm joking, but I just want to make it really clear that <laughs> I don't <laughs> think it's a word. <laughs> I know okay, that cool. it's not. Noted. Um, but the reason why we were talking about the Venn diagram is because we were talking about Ikigai, which I did look at a video oh. to see if I was saying it right, and it seems that that is the way it's said. Congrats. Thank you. <laughs> But it means to have direction or purpose in your life or have a reason for being. And so professional ikigai, just to clarify, is those four questions, which are what do you love? What are you good at? What does the world need? And what can you be paid for? And ikigai is found in the intersection of those four sections. Characteristics of everyday ikigai are finding flow in everything we do and remaining active. And so a bunch, I watched this video, which I, I will, I've added to our sources in case you want to watch it. I don't know if it's good or not, but <laughs> I'll help explain it. And so essentially the different parts of it are that, and I loved all of these, like taking it slow and not worrying cultivating good habits, nurturing good friendships, living an unhurried life, exercising mm. daily, being optimistic and smiling, reconnecting with nature, giving thanks and having resilience, cherishing wabi-sabi, which means to accept the imperfection of life, mm. and living by itchy go itchy e. I don't know if I'm saying that right, but it means to like acknowledge that the present moment exists only here and now and cannot be repeated. Mm. And the whole point behind Ikigai is apparently there's an island of people in Japan who like live really, really long lives. And the reason why you might seek it out is because those folks live by this method. Huh. So yeah. I, I mean, all of that really makes sense. I feel like that's all kind of stuff that I am finding as I mm -hmm. try and figure out what the hell is going on. I like the living an unhurried life. Yeah, that's like my biggest one that I'm working on. <laughs> Slow the hell down. Yeah. Um, I say that Shania Twain told us it's our prerogative to change our minds, <laughs> which she actually says that it's our prerogative to have a little fun. <laughs> Her thoughts on changing minds are actually in a different song where okay. she says that if she changes her mind a million times, that she wants to hear him say, yeah, yeah, he likes it that way. <laughs> <laughs> so I just wanted to clear that up. I was oh, combining so two of her songs. Oh, my God. Well, basically, <laughs> the wisdom was there. Yeah, she does <laughs> she say said both of those things. things. Yeah. <laughs> So just in case, I do oh. think that having a little fun is equal of equal importance. And it also is your prerogative to change totally. your mind. Totally. <laughs> um, fail fast, fail often, which I love to reference, is actually a book I just found oh. out, um, which I obviously should read because I love to reference it. You but do love that quote. <laughs> I do. Also, when I was Googling it, one of the first things that came up was like, Fail fast, fail often. Worst business advice ever. And I was like, no, nah, this isn't what I want. This is my quote. No, no, no. <laughs> Scrolled right past that, but I will link the book on our website. <laughs> we don't know if it's good, I guess. We don't. Neither of us have read it. So. No. Okay. I say you get your feet stuck in the mud. <laughs> and then I say, is that a saying? And Kyla goes, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I was there for you. I don't think it is. <laughs> But 
I just want to reiterate that I have a hereditary condition that <laughs> I always screw up idioms and it was passed down to me from my mom. So I don't really take blame because they've just been fed to me wrong. Oh my God. But there is a saying that's a stick in the mud. Yeah. Which, yeah. But a stick in the mud means someone who's like dull and unadventurous. Oh. What was the context of what, like, do you oh, remember? Oh, I was saying, <laughs> I was saying, like, you can't make choices and, like, you just get stuck in the mud. Like, <laughs> like you don't make changes because you're oh. just, your feet are stuck in the mud. Oh, I feel like I know what you're trying to say. Is something, uh, I don't yeah. know. I get, knows, I get it. I get yeah, what you meant. It's, it's like, because your feet are so heavy because they're covered in mud. <laughs> sure. <laughs> going (laughs) so that's that also I quote something my mom told me that she said allegedly that she saw in the Mr. Rogers movie (laughs) (laughs) I can find no evidence of this quote existing (laughs) this is why we should check our facts first (laughs) oh my god so I'll have to watch the movie and then maybe I'll report back. But okay. I did – the quote was something like, why do we ask kids what they want to be when they grow up? How about who they are now? Or something right. like that. I liked it. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> Whoever said it. You said but it. But <laughs> I did find a cool article by Adam Grant called Stop Asking Kids What They Want to Be When They Grow Up. And so I'll link that because it talks all about how – by asking that questions, we force children to define themselves with a career and how like we wouldn't respect an answer if a kid was like, I want to be an, a person with integrity. Like they're obviously oh. looking for a career choice. <laughs> and so when they ask parents, parents say that their most important value for their children to have is to care about others. But kids believe that their most important value is success. And he is sort of making the argument that this question is what feeds into that because you're saying like, what do you want to be when you grow up? And they're like, a doctor or whatever. Right. Um, It's also kind of he calls out that like it's sort of assuming that everyone has a calling, like one calling, which he thinks is BS. And I think it's kind of similar to like the whole soulmate thing. Like there's one person out there. It's like a little bit. So so bullshit. (laughs) A little bit bullshit. It's just a little bit. But Adam Grant's point is sort of like invite children to think about what kind of person they want to be and all the different things that we can do in our lives, not just like your profession. Yeah. And then last fact check is sunk cost fallacy, which Ugh. you did say. You said like sunk yeah. cost theory. And then at like a minute later, you are like fallacy. Which we'll count it. We'll count it. Um, I got there eventually. Yeah. So I'll link an article about this too. But if you don't know it, which I didn't know about this, I thought it was super interesting to read about. But it's essentially like if you've ever let unworn clothes clutter your closet just because they were expensive or like followed through on plans you were dreading just because you already bought tickets, then you already know what this fallacy is. And so it's this general tendency for people to continue with an endeavor or continue consuming or pursuing an option if they've invested time or money or some resource into it. Yeah. And apparently a romantic relationship is a big example of this because yeah. <laughs> because <laughs> probably don't agree so quickly to that oh because <laughs> speaking from past experience <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> people, 
people feel like the longer they're in it, the harder it seems to exit. Yeah. And so humans get stuck in this trap for a couple reasons. Like they stick to the plan even when it no longer serves them. And they think maybe it's an attempt to correct cognitive dissonance. So like the disconnect between paying for something and not getting your expected return of investment on it. Or it's just like a knee-jerk reaction to regret. But one thing I thought was interesting is they did this study where they offered people two choices. You can go to Mexico or Montreal. Tickets were already purchased and you had to choose one and waste the other. And then they told them that one cost $200 and one cost $800. And almost everyone chose the $800 one, even if they wanted to go to the other destination more. Whoa. And they even did things where they said like, oh, your friend paid for it or like you paid for it or whatever. It didn't matter if it was them or someone else. They still didn't want to like waste the money that was spent. So it doesn't seem to matter if it's like your own investment. We just feel an obligation regardless. People are weird. We weird. We're so weird. (laughs) But essentially, you're just digging yourself deeper into a hole, which I kind of think might have been the saying I was looking for about the mud. Okay. Sure. Dirt, hole. (laughs) Whatever you want. I don't know. I'm there. I'm with you. (laughs) You knew what I meant. Yeah. But I will definitely put up a resource around Ikigai and these different articles and then also the Berkman resource. And then in addition, I'll watch that movie. We'll see what happens. Okay. (laughs) We'll see if we can redeem that quote. Sounds good. Okay. Is that all? Yeah, that's it. Any last thoughts? Uh, leave us some reviews. <laughs> like, like us on Instagram. <laughs> no, follow, us. follow, follow us on Instagram. Leave go us some reviews. Website. Follow us on Instagram. Go to educatedmesses.com to read all these resources. Yeah. Get you some learning dopamine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Bye. Bye.